0: Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Invite your attention into the word of the Lord to 2nd The second epistle of Peter, chapter number one. Second second epistle of Peter, chapter number one. And I want to begin reading there with verse twelve. Everybody say praise the Lord. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance, for we have not followed cuttingly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I want to look there again at at verse 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. And I want you to notice the next few words. Though ye know them. Though ye know them and be established in the present truth. I just want to use that as a subject here this morning. Though ye know them. Though ye know them. Let's pray for the Lord to help us today. Let's pray for His anointing. We certainly need it. We all need it. Not just the speaker, not just the preacher, but everybody in this house needs the anointing of the Lord. Jesus, I ask God again that you would move, Lord, in this place on the hearts of your people touch our souls god draw us closer and nearer to you let the word of god resonate in our hearts let it help us today i pray god for some person that does not know you in the fullest that they should know you that they would come to know you in the experience of the holy ghost they would come to know you in in baptism in jesus name They would come to really have a born-again experience. I'm asking, God, that you would have your way in this place and touch the lives of people in this house. We thank you, God, for another opportunity to be here this morning. And I pray you'd bless us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can you say praise the Lord? You can be seated. I think it's important that you realize here from the outset that this second epistle of Peter, it's understood here as you read through this first chapter that he is not addressing people that are unfamiliar with the ways of God. He's not writing this, addressing this to people that are unknowledgeable of the doctrine, uh, that do not know what it is. Uh, to live for God and the importance of serving the Lord. But in this passage, the apostle felt it very needful that these people be stirred to things that they already knew. They be stirred up about things that they were already aware of. As I study this, I find that there is no consideration for how many times they may have heard these things that he's referring to, or how many times they had been rehearsed in their hearing, no matter how often they had studied them and uh, maybe been taught them by elders, he understood the importance of being stirred up towards things that were already known, that they were already knowledgeable of. In fact, he felt the responsibility of it so much that he said it would be negligence on my part if I, here at the closing of my life, evidently he is feeling that his time is drawing near because he talks of putting off this earthly tabernacle and he talks about shortly being deceased, so he wants to make sure He wants to make very certain that everything is tied down, every loose end is taken care of, everything uh, at the conclusion of his life that needs to be handled is actually dealt with. And I think anybody that is growing towards the end of their life feels that way or feels Uh, that burden of responsibility. You notice that, that people, when they realize that they're coming to the end of the road, that they can see the end of the sidewalk, as we like to say, then they start speaking about things differently. They start trying to pass things on to the next generation. They want to carefully remind children, grandchildren, Uh, of things about their heritage, things that they want to make sure are passed on to the next generation. And we, we are just by human nature so fascinated by things that are new. Uh, Even companies and their marketing strategies have tapped into this. Uh, One of the biggest tech companies, I suppose, of our day is the Apple corporation, and every year and sometimes many times a year they have an unveiling where they have a new product, and uh, maybe it's not necessarily just something that we've never seen before, but there's new features, and they come out with the next generation of an iPhone or an iPad or whatever it may be, and they reveal the capabilities, they unveil Uh, what new thing that it has that past generations didn't have. And everybody, because there's such a buildup for it, and it's marketed just right, and all of this is carefully strategized, and they do it on purpose, but they unveil it, and uh, there's just a big buildup until you get to that point, and then they reveal what it is because we're all mesmerized by things that are new. Uh, even automobile companies, when there's a new uh, design on a vehicle or perhaps a new vehicle that is coming out uh, that has never, uh, never been seen before, uh, maybe, maybe it's just been spoken of or written about, but they're actually going to take a prototype and they're going to unveil it and show you what it looks like and give you a full picture of what what it is that they're going to be offering on the market. And we see this over and over again in corporations and companies as they endeavor to unveil new products because they understand how the public is caught up with things that are new. Uh, I suppose... Impressed upon our minds of late is the fact that we just entered into 2019. We started a new year. And I always kind of chuckle to myself of all the talk. Nobody enters into the new year and says the new year and say me. Amen. You didn't get that. They always enter into the new year and say a new year and a new me. And uh, how they're going to do this or they're going to do that. They're going to change this about themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. If we can use, um, you know, segments of seasons and times and whatever that that can help us with uh, to launch and to change something that needs to be corrected about ourselves, I don't see anything wrong with it. Yet the Apostle Paul said in these writings, or rather the Apostle Peter said in these writings, I don't have anything new. I don't have anything to introduce to you that you haven't heard. And that you will not be able to comprehend. I'm not going to come and unravel some mysterious thing to you or offer to you some new revelation. I I see us sometimes even as saints of God and connoisseurs of preaching and those of us that have been raised around the house of God. If we're not careful, we'll we'll be uh, approaching church with that same kind of attitude. And that is, I wonder what the preacher could share with me that is new or something that I haven't heard before. Show me some new thing in the Word of God. Give me some deep revelation that I did not realize was there. Yet, Peter said, I think it meet or I feel it a responsibility. As long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as God gives me life and He gives me the ability to do so, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, not of things that you're not aware of, not of things that maybe slipped you by, not going to give you some new revelation." But I want to reveal to you something of importance that maybe, maybe over time has become uh, less a part of your focus. It's not been at the forefront of your thoughts like it should be. And so I want to stir you up. I, I want to offer to you again the importance of it and underscore it. I want it to be highlighted in your mind. He made reference of the fact that he would soon be gone. But as long as he had the ability before he was deceased, I want you to remember some of these important things. I feel I'm preaching to a very knowledgeable congregation here today. I feel like I'm preaching to folks that have been exposed to great teaching and great preaching. I begin to think about this morning as i was preparing early i began to think about some of the ministries over the years of this church's existence who have came by preached taught held revivals in this congregation and many of you could reflect upon that of what great preachers and great teachers and its founders of the word of god have stood in the pulpit and preached to you over the years that you have lived for god You've experienced some powerful anointing of the Holy Ghost. You've enjoyed the rich blessings of the Lord. And uh, many of you are acquainted uh, with the depths, the fathomless depths of the Word of God. You, You have known what it is to be in church services where the Spirit of the Lord has moved in a profound way. And this would seem to be an advantage for any one of us. Uh, when you think about people that have not had that privilege, that have not been exposed to the same things, that have not had the privilege of hearing and being taught some of the th- same things that you have been taught. So it would seem to be an advantage. It really should be that we are put ahead by that, that we uh, receive a little extra benefit from being exposed to those things. Uh, we should know the Lord and His Word in a deeper way. Uh, we, we, should, uh, we should understand the things of God in a sense when when maybe others... That have not had this privilege and not been exposed and, and had the opportunities that we have been afforded, maybe they do not, uh, maybe they do not uh, understand things and and uh, maybe they do not uh, understand the ways of the spirit as we do. But can I tell you, the scripture says, "To whom much is given, much is required." Can I remind you? The Bible tells us that he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. In other words, for those of you that know, for those of you that have understanding, for those of you that have had the privilege of being exposed to these things, you have firsthand been an eyewitness, as he said in this text, of his majesty. You've experienced the glory and the power and the presence of God. Can I just tell you today, there's a great responsibility that rests upon each of us. There's a great responsibility that rests upon each of us to do more and be more for God. Because we've had had greater opportunities to do so. Amen. We've received a leg up. If I could say it that way. If I could describe it to you in this manner. We have an advantage that so many other people have not. And if you've been around a little bit and traveled a little bit. You understand what I'm talking about. But God help me to be shaken and stirred to my core. To not allow the blessings and the benefits that you've afforded me. To become something that I do not appreciate. And that I do not hold in high esteem. But I realize, I realize that God, you have placed me in the kingdom. And you bless me with these things for a reason and for a purpose. And I want to take advantage of everything that you have blessed me with. But I also want to realize that you poured these things into me for a reason. And I want to give back to you and to your kingdom. I want to serve you in such a way that would be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Uh, If you, you don't believe what I'm preaching here this morning, we see examples of it all through the Word of God. What about Esther, the story of Esther? How Mordecai approached her. And I'll make it real short and encapsulate. Uh, What I'm trying to say in, in just a brief summary of the story. And that is that he had to approach her and remind her. Let me put you in remembrance, Esther. That the reason why God has blessed you as he has. And you stand in the king's court. And you wear the queen's crown. And you live in the palace that you live in. Is not because you're better than anybody else. You understand that God in His mercy placed you here. And He placed you there for a reason. And if you will not arise to the occasion, God is going to find deliverance from another source. And He's going to use somebody else. And it was her that had to come to the realization that I have had advantages that nobody else has had. And I need to do the thing that God has called me to do. So if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do the will of God because I know too much just to sit here and enjoy the comforts of the palace. I know too much just to sip from the goblet of a queen's cup. Amen. I know too much just to wear the raiment of a queen and be comfortable. But God, you have blessed me and brought me to to the kingdom for such a time as this and I want to stand forth and fulfill my responsibility oh would you clap your hands to the Lord and let's give him praise together the more we know the more that can be expected of us let me say we, we don't need to be introduced to something new in order to have revival. We don't need some new revelation to be revealed for us to be able to see and experience miracles taking place or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost or could I make it just a little bit more personal and say revival in your family and among those that you desire to see saved. It's not going to be some new thing that is revealed to us if the evangelist comes uh, in the not-too-distant future, it's not going to be some kind of new thing that he's going to bring that is going to uh, give us an opportunity to have revival like we've been praying and desiring and hungering for. But more than likely, it's going to be things that we've already known, that we've already been taught That has been preached to us countless times. That we've heard over and over again. What we really need to do is just employ. Just implement the things that we know. We know how to pray. It's time we pray. We know how to touch God. I'm preaching to people that know how to touch God. And it's important that we do so. I'm preaching to people here this morning that know how to worship. You know how to praise the Lord. You know how to respond to the Spirit. You know how to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. There's folks in this room you know what it takes to respond to God appropriately. You're familiar with the moving of the Spirit. It's not something that is a mystery. It's not something that you don't already know, what we need to do is employ the things that we know this morning. We need to act upon the things we know. We know that God responds to faith. We need to exercise that faith. We know that God will hear the prayers of people that are righteously seeking Him and calling upon Him fervently. We need to get fervent and passionate with our prayer. We know that God loves worship that comes from the sincerity of the heart. A person that has pure motives that comes into the presence of the Lord and says, God, I'm not here to impress. I'm not here to see or to be seen. But I'm here to lift up your name. I'm here to glorify you. I love you. I want to praise you. I want you to know how much I appreciate you. And we give a sacrifice. You hear that? A sacrifice of praise. I'm not just talking about a cursory hand clap. I'm not just talking about a wave of the hand every once in a while. I'm talking about somebody that lets it boil up from the depths of their heart that says God I come to your house to worship you with all of my heart. Come on, I know too much just to sit idle. I know too much to sit with my hands clasp. I know too much just to sit there and not respond to God. God's been too good to me. I know too much about His mercy. I know too much about His grace. I know too much about His delivering power. I know too much about His provision and protection in my life. I know too much about how He's able to work and move and save and Delivered. I've seen too much. I know too much to not respond. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's go ahead and worship him some more here this morning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, I give you praise. I give you praise. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. From the age of about four years old, I was raised in the church. I heard some of the very very best preachers and teachers. During the late 70s, 80s, 90s, attended camp meetings, conferences, and My mother and father would take me just about everywhere that there was a conference or a camp meeting that they could afford to. I, uh, when I was old enough, attended Bible college, Bible school. I remember in 1989, my parents, when I acknowledged that I'd kind of always known previous to that, but I really acknowledged that I was called to preach. They purchased me. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. They purchased me a uh, Thompson Chain reference Bible. The First, back then, if you was going to be a preacher, you had to have a Thompson Chain reference Bible. Hardly anything else would do. And, uh, you know, you had to have strong back to lift it, but That's what you had to have if you was an anointed preacher. And so uh, I brought that Bible home with me, and I still have it in my office today. It's worn. It's seen me through a lot of trials and troubles. There's handwritten notes in the margin. There's highlighting. I remember one time one of my sons, I was preaching revival somewhere, and they opened up the Bible and where I'd asked to read from was highlighted. Quickly closed the Bible up. And Sister Calhoun asked, "Why'd you do that for?" I said, "Well, it was highlighted. I didn't want my friends to know that my dad was going to preach a sermon that he had preached before again. So they assumed, since it was highlighted, that that uh, I guess they assumed that you know you couldn't preach but once from that scripture. I don't know, but anyhow." Uh, I've got a stack of Bibles now in my office that I've preached from over the years. I've got uh, one that I carried up to, uh, well, I preached all over with, and then this one, one particular occasion was up in Oregon, and and, uh, we was hurrying from the hotel to go over to the meeting to preach, and and, uh, I put it on top of the car. And uh, opened the door to put my jacket, hang my jacket. I don't like to sit in the car with my jacket on and get it wrinkled up. So I was going to put the jacket in, on the back in the hanger, on the hanger, and, and left the Bible on top of the car. And got, you know, it didn't blow off in the parking lot. It waited until I got out on the highway. And so there it went notes and all kind of things. And the Bible's out there. And I uh, felt so bad. We pulled over, and I couldn't get out on my side. Sister Cone said, "Don't worry about it. I'll go get it." And so she's out there in the middle of the road, picking up my notes. When I got there, uh, got the notes together and put them out on the pulpit. I could see where people had driven over them. There was tracks on them and uh, marks on them. And, I, and uh, after I got about halfway into that thing, I realized I didn't have them all. And uh, so you know what? It all worked out okay. But I'm just, I'm just talking about some of the privileges and the uh, blessings of serving God and working in His kingdom. I've got Bibles that you just about look on every page. And I'm not saying this for any kind of recognition. I'm just saying you just about look on every page of them. And there's notes written in the margin. There's underscoring. There's highlight on every page because I've tried to live my life Reading and studying and trying to know the Word of God. And, uh, but you know, uh, it would be a tragedy for somebody with the privileges and the advantages that I have had to be lost and to walk away from God for some reason or to miss out on heaven. Uh, It'd be a tragedy. And let me just go a little bit further and say to know all of this and to study God's Word and to be able uh, to be a workman that needed not to be ashamed, but yet not implement those things in my life. Just having a knowledge of them is not enough. I've got to implement them in my life. I've got to let them sink down into my heart and be worked out in my hands and my feet. And I've got to live it. I've got to walk it. I've got to be it every day of my life i've got to i've got to seek after god and knowing him more as i have been saying here lately you 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 can't get to a place that you know god entirely and that you say, well, that's it, I, I, you know, I've graduated, I, I've, got, I've got the completion uh, certificate, this is as far as I can go in my relationship. That's not possible, amen. There's more that all of us can know about God, but most of us need to put to work what we already know about serving God. Parents scold their children many times and say, you knew better than to do that. How many has ever heard those infamous words? And the rest of you, God will forgive you for lying. I remember my parents were drilling a well on some property that they had purchased. And and you know all of that limestone gray matter that comes up out of the earth when they drill a well. And they had to drill real deep evidently because there was lots of it. And it was flowing and uh, they mix water with it or whatever. Water comes up out of the ground, but they want to get down into a real vein of water, and so it's just all muddy out there around this. And my dad, when he brought me home from school that day, I uh, I was famous for wearing what they called fastback shoes. You probably was rich and didn't know what those were, but fastback shoes were sold at Anthony's, and I don't know if they even have Anthony's anymore, but they did where I live, and, and you could buy them. And uh, my dad was famous for saying, he said, this is as good as any Nike, any Reebok, or anything else you would want. He said, they'll stop on a dime and give you nine cents change, son. He said, you don't need anything but these fastback shoes. And those fastbacks, uh, the, the, uh, the traction on them would come off. Almost, I mean, almost like within the first week I owned them, that traction would come off. And so I just go slipping and sliding everywhere up and down the halls of the school. It it was like having a pair of skates on. But he said, I just bought those shoes. And he said, don't you go out there and get in that mud. You hear me? And I said, yes, sir. But you know, it was just so enticing to see what those guys were doing over there. And so I was trying to get as close as I could. And when I looked down, I looked and I noticed that that gray mud was up over the top of those fastbacks. And I remembered what my dad had said. And so I tried my best to go up and stomp it off and wipe it off on the grass and tried to clean them up, but he caught me in the middle of my cleaning them up and said, I thought I told you. You knew better than to get out there and get in that mud because I told you not to do that. Anybody ever had that type of an experience where you were told and you knew better. And that's when we're so thankful that we have a God that is gracious and kind and merciful to us and uh, is is one that is gracious enough to give us another opportunity and another chance. But he said you knew better than to do that. And I thought about it in our relationship with God. If we only did the things that we knew to do. Everybody in this place knows enough to be saved. I would venture to say that just about everybody in this place knows enough to be right with God and to serve the Lord and to make it to heaven. But we're here every day that the church doors are open. Why? Because... We need to be reminded again. Amen. If I just implemented all the preaching and teaching that I have heard over the last 30, 40 years, 35, 40 years of of being around this and exposed to this, then uh, I I suppose uh, if I just implemented all of that... I could be saved but I still got to come back and be reminded over and over and be preached to over and over and stirred up to the things not something new not not some mystery out there but I've got to be retold the story of Calvary I've got to have something awaken in me when it comes to consecration I've got to be reminded that I need to pray and I need to worship and I need to be faithful to God God. Amen. Yeah, I know, but uh, but I need to be reminded again. Uh, I need to be reminded again. When I get to the place that I'm withholding in some area of my life, uh, God has to remind me again. This is what it's going to take to be saved. Uh, it's not that we don't know it. Uh, amen. Most of us, uh, when, we, when we withhold prayer, we know better than that. Uh, amen. When we withhold worship, we know better than that. When we're unfaithful to the house of God, we know better than that. Amen. When we withhold tithe, we know better than that. We know these things. We've been taught these things. But every once in a while, the Spirit has to stir us up in things that we already know. And we need to get back that same conviction, that same fervency, that same desire that we used to have in the things, not that are new, but the things that we already Already know. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up your voice and let's give praise to the Lord again. Jesus said, That servant that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. In other words, he that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin just underscoring that again. George Glass Sr., I remember a story that he told. He was a fascinating storyteller. He told how he got under a burden for a man. He pastored for many years in uh, DeRitter, Louisiana. And uh, he got under the, a burden for a man. And uh he was praying, he said, every time I would get down to pray, he said this man's face would come up. His wife attended the church, that Brother Glass pastored, but this man uh, did not attend. He was away from God. And he said, finally it became so strong that he, he said, I went and I told the lady after church one night, said, what's your husband's schedule this week? What's his work schedule? And she explained to him what it was. So, said, well, I'm going to come visit him tomorrow. And so she was expecting him. And he came by and of course the man was there and came in and they had their pleasantries and, and they were sitting there in the front room visiting with one another and the wife dismissed herself because she knew that Brother Glass was there to see her husband and talk to him about his soul. And so he finally waded into it. He said, Brother, I want to talk to you about what I've been feeling lately. He said, I've been burdened for you. And he said, every time I'd get down to pray, your face would come up before me. He said, so I I didn't know what else to do but come and speak to you, talk to you that God's trying to get your attention and uh, you need to be saved. He said, do you ever think about your soul's salvation? He said, Brother Glass, he said, I would lie if I told you that I didn't think about it often. He said, matter of fact, I... I suppose everybody thinks about the salvation of their soul. And he said, well, why is it that you're not doing something about it? He said, well, Brother Glass, he said, the reason for that is is that you, you've got some hypocrites in your church. I don't know why uh, backsliders and sinners think it's their job to tell the pastor that he's got hypocrites in his church like he doesn't already know that. But you know what? If we ran all the hypocrites off, that wouldn't be the will of God either, would it? And my hope is is that they'll keep coming and experience something and feel something and be stirred up about something and be convicted. And If we run them off, there's no hope for them. There's no chance they'll ever be saved man. So we we try to be patient and long-suffering and preach to them and give them an opportunity to get it right before God. And aren't you thankful that God's been long-suffering with you? And so he said, well, he said, how do you know? He said, I I didn't come there to be defeated that day. He said, I come there business. He said, I want to know something. He said, I want to know how do you know That there's hypocrites in the church. He said, well, Brother Glass, he said, I know how a Christian ought to live. He said, I stood up from where I was and walked over and took that man by the shoulder. And he said, you just judge yourself because you said you knew how a person should live if they're going to be obedient to the Word of God. He said, my next question is, is why aren't you doing it? If you know how you need to live, then you need to come on to the church house and get things right with God and begin to live the way that you know to live. Amen. I can't worry about somebody else. Amen. I got to do what I know to do. Amen. The scripture says, seek out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. I'm responsible for what I know. I'm responsible for what's been preached to me and what's been taught. Taught to me. A lot of us would help ourselves if we'd worry more about our own condition than somebody else's condition and say God I must be saved. Let's start with me God. I've come to the altar. Deal with me God. Convict me God. Stir my heart God. Move on my soul God. I will implement I will employ the things that I know to do. Praise the Lord. It's so important that we do what we know to do. In the book of Daniel, Belshazzar, as you know, had a great party, a wicked man. A man that in the midst of this drunken party, vile things going on that we can, theologians describe that we cannot even go into in a mixed audience. Things that were taking place that were so vile and corrupt. And in his drunken condition, he reached the place that he called for his servants to go into the house of the Lord and get the gold and silver vessels out of the house of the Lord and bring them into the midst of this party and serve the guests and drink their wine from those sacred, dedicated, and anointed vessels from the house of the Lord. And when it got to this point... So debauched and so sacrilegious that God said, I can no longer withhold my hand. And the scripture says that while this party was going on, that there was actually at that very time an invasion that was taking place on the people there of Babylon. And Belshazzar didn't even realize it in his inebriated condition. And you know the story of how that a hand came upon the wall and began to write on the plaster of the wall there in the king's palace. And the writing, he didn't understand it. He could not interpret it. And so he brought the soothsayers and the astrologers and he brought all the, the people that could help him and his kingdom that he had known to be able to uh, deal in familiar spirits and try to make an interpretation of this thing. He brought them in. and He said, what's the meaning of this? The Scripture says that he was so fearful and afraid that he began to shake and his knees began to smite one against another. And he was concerned. Suddenly he was sobered up. And he realized the party's over. The judgments of God are here. And somebody told him, You have a man in your kingdom that can identify, he can interpret this. These soothsayers and musicians and and astrologers, they weren't able to do it. And I'm gonna just tell you something. This book that we preach out of today, it's a holy book that was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And somebody out there that doesn't have the Holy Ghost is going to have a hard time interpreting it correctly and rightly dividing it. So you need to stop listening to them and start listening to people that are anointed, amen, with the same anointing that authored the book in the first place. Hallelujah. And so so when that handwriting came upon the wall and Daniel was brought into that room where, where this writing was, and he looked And he said, I I don't need your gifts. I don't need your payment. I don't want any of that. He said, I'll interpret it for you. The Lord will reveal it. But he said, before I do, there's a few things that I want to talk to you, Belshazzar, about. And And he gave him a little preaching there, a little sermon there. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, which was actually his grandfather, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he said the Lord raised him up and put him on the throne and made him great. And he was blessed and had a great kingdom. But he got lifted up in pride and he said, Look at this great kingdom that I have built. God used him in a way to get the attention of his people, but it was God that had placed him on that throne. I want you to understand that, Belshazzar. And when he did, he got lifted up in pride and he said, look at this great kingdom that I have built. And God slapped him down on his hands and knees. He put the heart of a beast in him. And his fingernails grew out like eagle's claws. And he was clothed like the feathers of eagles. And he grazed like an ox in the field. And the dew on the of the outdoors covered his body and for a long period of time he existed in this condition a madman that has lost his mind that God was showing that you're actually not in control Nebuchadnezzar but I'm in control Amen. And until you acknowledge me, you're never going to get up from this condition. And finally, he acknowledged that the Lord God Jehovah was actually God. Amen. And when he gave reverence to God, the Bible says that he was placed back on that throne, which is a miracle that people would receive him after living as a wild madman for that period of time. What a miracle it was. And notice what Daniel said to Belshazzar. He said, "O Belshazzar, hast thou not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all these things? You've not humbled your heart, and you was an eyewitness. You've seen." these things you watch them you've been told about this story over and over again and yet you're repeating history yourself you're being lifted up in your own pride and you're following in suit just like your grandfather you know better than this you understand that there is a God in Israel that is worthy of worship you understand that there's a God that rules the universe you understand that there's one that is higher than you And your kingdom, you know these things, Belshazzar. And if I can say it this way, what Daniel the prophet, the man of God, was actually saying to Belshazzar is that you know too much to be lost. You know too much to live like you're living. You know too much to have gone this way. It's been revealed to you. It's been told to you. It's been preached to you over and over and over again. Thou knewest these things. You knew all of it, and yet you went off in your self-will. he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him. it is a sin. This is a knowledgeable group of people here this morning. This is people that know the truth. You know the Acts 238 message: You know what it takes to be saved. You know what it takes to please God, to live for God, to serve God. I'm just challenging you this morning to implement the things that you know. Would you lift up your hands with me as Sister Taylor comes? Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to the Lord. Come on, let's really pray and seek the face of God. There's people that know how to pray here. People that know how to touch God here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God speak to my heart. God talk to me. God deal with me. Stir me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. As you stand with me. You know, it's you've got to be very careful that you don't just go by feeling. I'm thankful for a God that can be felt. I'm thankful for a God that can be experienced on that level. But sometimes you've got to respond to what you know. When your flesh says, I don't feel like doing it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like yielding. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like calling out to God. The story that illustrates this in the scriptures where Isaac's coming to the end of his life and he's going to pass his blessing on, his birthright. He's a blind man now. And when he Tells Esau to go into the field and get some venison, prepare it, and bring it back, and he'll bless him. Rebecca hears it, tells Jacob, said, "Go get one of the goats out of the flock. Said I'll prepare it like he likes it." She took the hair, the skin of that animal, and placed it upon his arms. Because Esau was a very hairy man, the scripture says. And so did all of this to deceive Isaac. When he came in, he said, speak to me. Talk to me. Begin to ask him questions. And when he did, he said, that's the voice. I know that to be the voice of Jacob. But he stretched forth his arms and he felt what he thought was the arms of Esau. He said, I know it's the voice of Jacob, but I feel, and so my feelings are deceiving me. My feelings are tricking me into thinking that this is okay when I know better. I know this isn't right. Something isn't just right about it. Now, we know that God had his hand in all of this, but I'm just telling you sometimes you better go back to what you know and what you've been taught and what you realize to be right than just go with some fleeting feeling of your flesh because your flesh can deceive you and lead you down a wrong path. Your flesh, if you're not careful, can get you off track. Your flesh, if you're not extremely cautious, will talk you out of responding to God like you know you need to. Because your flesh sometimes don't like humbling itself. Flesh doesn't like repentance. Flesh doesn't like bending a knee at an altar. Flesh doesn't like... Yielding to God. It likes its will being done. But if you're going to serve God. You got to know. You got to do what you know the word of God. Has instructed you to do. And say God it's not my will. But God I need your will. It's not about me. But it's about you. It's not about what I want, but it's about what you want and you desire for my life. I need to be saved. So I'm going to go with what I know in the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me that I can be saved if I yield myself and if I humble myself before you. I wonder if there's anybody feeling a call this morning, anybody feeling a touch from the Lord here today. Anybody, anybody will answer the call of God. You know that's the voice of the Lord. Amen. You know that to be the tug of God upon your heart. You, you understand and you know from what you've experienced in times past that God, how He deals with a person and how He moves upon a person and how He touches a person's life. When we partake of sin, there's something in us that says, I know better than this. I know better than this. I know this is not right. When we think ill of a brother, we we know it's not right. When we think ill of a sister, we know this is not right. Why, how can I withhold forgiveness when, God, you've never withheld forgiveness from me? I know better than this. I'm going to start acting on what I know here today. Amen. I wonder if we could gather around this front here this morning. Amen. Respond to the voice of God as he calls out to us. Amen. Somebody hear the voice of the Lord this morning. The voice that you have felt and have experienced and have heard many times in the past. God has spoke to you. You're you're familiar with His voice. Amen. Why don't you yield to it today? Why don't you surrender your heart to Him today? Why don't you open yourself up to God today? Do what you know to do. Pray like you know to pray. Seek after the face of God like you know you need to. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, come on. Somebody pray like you know how to. Somebody lift up your voice to the Lord like you know how to. Hallelujah. Somebody yield to Him as you know how to. Somebody call on Him today and cry out to Him as you know how to. Oh, let's lift up our voices. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's seek after the Lord. Let's seek after the Lord. As they begin to sing, I want you to seek after the Lord.